32 counties. 32 questions. My name is Una. My name is Andrea. And this is United, United Ireland. Ireland. Got it. Every week we take a county and dive into an issue relevant to that county and then see where in the world it brings us. And yes, we're, we're doing that this county. week. Ah, I can't cope. This week's county. Awfully. This week's question. Why are briquettes over? Not a very poetic question. Um, although what is poetic is Bogland and it's something that we cover frequently on this podcast in a curious twist that I didn't see coming when we set out to uh, do this podcast. Um, this week we're going to be talking about Offaly. We're going to be talking about the brown to green transition, the phasing out of peat harvesting slash mining slash extraction, uh, what that means for you, no more briquettes, and what it means for people in the area. Uh, we're going to be talking to uh, Minister of State for Land Use and Biodiversity, Green Party Senator Pippa Hackett. And we're going to be talking about to one, is it, would he be Ireland's biggest, well, most well-known Briquette fan? I think it would be safe to say he would be the number one Briquette fan, especially of setting it live to Chromatica into 911. Yes. Of his burning uh, briquette. We're talking about James Cavanaugh. Yes. Um, and yeah, so can you believe it? We're actually get, doing a county. That's pretty amazing. Um, awfully, very unfortunately, this week was ranked bottom of the Ireland Livability Index. I'm not really sure how, you know thorough this livability index is it's scored on different kind of criteria um about how people would like we put your where your ideal home would be um and awfully ranked lowest that seems very unfair but so this episode is not going to be ragging on awfully this is a celebration of awfully do you want to i think this might put awfully on the map get ready go on my heritage is Offaly. My dad's dad was a butcher in Banagher, in Offaly. And my granny went down to Banagher and met my granddad, got pregnant, well, married, obviously, first Ireland back then, got pregnant with my dad, moved back up to Inchcore, and the future became me. So Banagher is where my soul is. Wow. Um, well, you're going to be one of several awfully related people on the podcast today, Andrea. Um, and I'm looking forward to hearing your county facts. But now it's the state of the nation. What's up, Andrea, with Ireland generally? <laughs> It's like, it's just every week. It's like, ah, oh, come on. Like, it really is a state. First up, the main thing going on this week is the schools. Reopening? Are they reopening? Who's been thrown under the bus about them reopening? Uh, is Norma Foley, after losing every bit of uh, run of herself and any bit of control? These are the questions we ask. She put out a terse statement the other day. Um, and... I think my main takeout from all the shenanigans is join a union. What would your main takeout be? 
I think that um, Evie Nihulwan tweeted a while ago when they kind of did one of several U-turns, which is now basically Norma Foley doing donuts uh, with regards to U-turns um, a while ago about like, why has it come to this? And why wasn't there a conversation and a plan in place about what would happen to schools in another lockdown? Why weren't the stakeholders all engaged with la la la? And I think she's right. And I think that... I'm always suspicious of unions getting the flack because, you know, it's kind of this nebulous thing to blame. Oh, the unions, the unions are at it again. But, you know, dig into it. And where is the department on this in terms of preparation? And if if the minister doesn't seem to have control with regards to all of these U- U-turns, uh, what's going on? And ultimately, the people who, who are losing out are the students. And generally, teachers don't want to you like screw over the students. Do you know what I mean? Like teachers are doing a job. It's a hard job. Uh, it's often a thankless job. Um, and, you know, it's not a very well paid job. Um, so I, I do I do wonder, I, I cannot understand why if there was mass school closures in lockdown one, what coming out of that did nobody go, okay, here's the, the like, here is the plan and and here is everyone is on board with this plan so if we need to do this again if we need to press this big red button everything's going to fall into place just seems to be a mess and the department of education is just captain obfuscation a lot of the time uh it seems what else going on uh, there is a growing call for zero COVID going on. Um, people before profit are calling for the other left parties to come on board with this. And the more, like, I just don't understand why it isn't something that we are aiming for because we've got a long journey ahead. And why would we not do everything in our power? And I suppose that goes like, to say there's people being fined for being outside the five kilometer rule where you have people from the UK and Brazil passengers with no like uh, positive or negative tests, like coming through Ireland and carrying on their journeys. It's like, if we're not even going to do the basics, how can we expect to get this under control? And I just, I just don't know like why we keep following and not leading. There's always this reactive uh, feeling to everything rather than a proactive. And I think it's like, like you see like the UK going, we're going to maybe look at having quarantine mandatory. And it's like, will Ireland do this now that the UK have done it? It's like, why can't we actually just make decisions of what is best and then maybe get out of this fucking shit show? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) You're dead right. (laughs) Um, So, and like, it's so annoying. We're like, oh, we can't do that. Things can be done when you, when there's a will for it to be done, you can make it happen. So get the will, let's get over this and let's get going out for dinner and clubs again and uh, living our best lives. And obviously not people getting sick. Uh, Also going on, Trump is gone. Long live. No, don't actually. Uh, he is toast, which is brilliant. Uh, the inauguration is happening as we're recording. Um, but what 
I have taken out of the inauguration is the secret messages that Kamala and Jill are making with their fashion statements. Um, yes, that sounds like that sounds like a, something somebody in QAnon would uh, would introduce the secret <laughs> messages in their in their <laughs> clothes. <laughs> I just think, like, obviously, there's always a like, why do women always get analyzed for what they're wearing? But the uh, these women are very smart and are choosing uh, fashion designers that are in keeping with the principles and the uh, and the ethos of I think what is coming ahead rather than the fucking shit show that's gone before. So like even at the COVID memorial uh, yesterday, um, Kamala wore Pyre Moss and Jill wore Jonathan Cohn. Uh, Pyre Moss is all about representation and uh, Jonathan is really into sustainability. Um, and then for the inauguration, um, uh, Jill Biden wore a Colorado-born designer, Alexandra O'Neill, um, from emerging American label Mark Carrion. And Kamala wore uh, two designers, Jonathan Christopher John Rogers, who we interviewed recently. You friend can listen to that friend of the pod can listen back to that interview with him and Sergio Hudson, who are both very into color um, and rep and representation and all and really like pushing fashion in a new direction, not following the timelines of of the seasons and all that jazz. So I think there's a lot to be seen within these fashion choices. Mm. And when everybody's scrambling to uh, get interviews with these designers, um, look no further than United Ireland. <laughs> we are that ahead. Uh, also, also worth noting that um, all the women were wearing purple. So um, Michelle Obama, Hillary Clinton, Kamala, uh, all and uh, Jill Biden were all wearing purple, which is a bipartisan color, which is a merging of red and blue, but it's also a suffragette uh, color. Um, so yeah, there's a lot uh, going on. I wonder if they all like are in a WhatsApp group going, "What are you wearing tomorrow? Can't wait to see you." <laughs> um, purple. It's also one of the official colors of lesbians. Purple. One of two. Oh my god. The other being, I can't course. believe they're all lesbians. <laughs> what do you think the other official color is? Black. Yes, correct. Well done. I mean, oh, I'm calling right. them official. Yes, I'm calling them official, but they're more um, quasi-official. I mean, I don't, I don't know. I don't know who makes the decision about what the official color for lesbians is. <laughs> the flag of lesbian goes up. Uh, also, the men, you know, the actual president, um, are wearing Ralph Lauren. Uh, so all wearing American designers. I just love the statement that's coming of the hope that the fashion is providing. And again, often, so many times, fashion is disregarded as like this fluffy thing that's blah, blah, blah. There's messages, there's statements, and there's industries within there. So we are delighted to see that. Uh Another thing that's happening in the state of the nation, uh, I just thought this tweet uh, really spoke to me because it, it, the tweet actually said, for anyone who's wondering, this is actually uh, what freedom of speech is when a Thai woman was jailed for 43 years for criticizing the monarchy. So coming up, being pulled off a social media platform or um having your YouTube suspended or whatever is not having your freedom of speech taken away. It's actually being put in jail for 43 years. Um, also, uh, 
a big thing that the WHO is worried about at the moment is the me first attitude to vaccines. So whilst there's these uh, bidding wars in rich countries to get the vaccine, um, there's countries that have only had 25 vaccinations. So the disproportionate levels of vaccines that are going to rich countries is is becoming a worry. And I suppose the big, like not that the, this makes it sound selfish, but like the the virus is not going to go away unless everyone is equal. There's an equal spread of vaccine. So it just highlights the lack of equity, but also I suppose how shit it is when we are selfish in the world that it just leads to badness. Namaste. And finally, St. Patrick's Day is cancelled for the second year in a row. All the festival bits. I miss miss that. All the festival bits, are they? That's sad. Yeah, it is. Um, Hopefully we'll find a meaningful way to celebrate it. Uh, Okay. (laughs) Are you ready? The counties have returned and none better to usher in this new era of the return of the counties, our final two counties, than to welcome to the stage, Offaly. Andrea, it's time for your County Facts. Well, 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 my heart lies in it in Offaly. (laughs) Freudian slip there. Uh, it's known as the King's County with a population of 78,003 as per the 2016 census. The main county town is Tullamore, uh, famous for its Jew, aka whiskey. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it has Crowan Hill rises from the Bog of Allen. So it's a big bog, bog is big down in Offaly, um, in the Schlieve Bloom Mountains. And you can look out over gorgeous things. It seems to be Crown Hill, seems to be the place to be. Uh, there's a wild trout conservation area in Burr. I thought that was kind of interesting. The more wild uh, wild fish we have, the better. Um, and if you if the fish swim into the waters of Offaly, that means they're Offaly fish, right? <laughs> Uh, burn Jonathan Rees Mogg. Uh, the county consists of approximately 42,000 42, hectares of peatlands, which is 21% of Offaly's total land area. That's a fifth for anyone who's not into percentages. Um, and it includes the Bog of Allen, the Clara Bog, the Borough Bog, and the Rahanamora Bog. And the Bog of Allen actually spreads out into four counties. Uh, Offaly is surrounded by seven counties. Like it has a lot of neighbours. Um, the Clara Bog Reserve, nature reserve, is Ireland's most famous bog. That's so funny because I have never heard of the Clara Bog. Have you? <laughs> um, I have heard of the Clara Bog, but I would have thought the Bog of Allen would have been the celebrity, the name, the A list. Yeah. What's my bog in Wicklow? I don't know, babes. You lived there. So. <laughs> <laughs> don't you know the Sally's Gap? I thought that would have been maybe pretty famous. Um, but it's famous for its wildflowers, wildlife, watercourses, and stunning hill views. And there's over 464 hectares to walk or cycle around. I feel like we need a little bog, bog kind of jig here, like the Rattlin' Bog. Oh, no, the Rattlin' Bog, the bog down in 
What about a sea shanty? No, I've, I'm avoiding all this. I just see occasionally people talk about, you know, the word sea shanty on Twitter. And I was like, I just do not want to fucking know what this is about because it probably has something to do with TikTok and it probably has something to do with adults dancing or some kind of like new trend on, uh, Ugh, disgusting new trends what are these kids up to now I don't want to know I have enough going on in my Facebook okay <laughs> <laughs> I just I mean I just don't want to know I don't want to know about internet trends anymore particularly social media trends I just don't want to know nobody's telling you so don't worry about it uh Clown McNoise is also a big a big buzz down there in Offaly um it is I, I remember going to Clan McNoise. I really enjoyed it. Um, but it was a big uh, stopgap in like the 5th century or something um, when all scholars used to bop around and come and visit it. Which, so that's kind of nice. Um, and now it's like it has examples of some of the finest um, religious things. Where's uh-huh. the look? Like, do you want to add anything to Clown McNoise? I left that open because I, was like, I remember oh, going. <laughs> I remember going on a school tour to Clown McNoise, um, and probably some around the same time I went on a school tour to Bog of Allen, which I raised with Pippa Hackett in our interview later. Uh, the only thing I know about Clown McNoise really is that I think a lot of the, um, you know, my obsession with the Hill of Tara. I think a bunch of the. Uh, kings of Tara are buried there. I I could have made that they up. Are. They are. No, you didn't. Okay. It's true. Okay, excellent. Yeah. Um, yeah. When I was down in Banagher, where I'm from, I I went to see, to visit it. Um, now, obviously, one of the main uh, places to visit in Offaly is the visitor center and service station known as Obama Plaza. Who hasn't gotten their picture with the Obamas at Obama Plaza? Me, for one. But it seems I'm the only one. Have you got one? Um, I mean, I've, I've probably taken a photo of the cardboard cutout of Barack and Michelle uh, on the way to Electric Picnic or something. I've never gone. Um, I have, got, I have go. gone to the Supermax there a bunch of times to get my standard Supermax dish, which is uh, garlic cheese garlic fries. Cheese fries. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Moneygall is the ancestral home of the previous president of the United States, Barack Obama. Uh, famous people hailing from Offaly, Brian Cowan, Shane Larry, and Mundy. They were, uh, do you know any of those? I feel like that's a good that clutch. Uh, Tullamore Jew, obviously you can go and do a tour there. Lockbora Discovery Park. Now this looks right up my strata. It's this gorgeous, it's got nature, it's got art, it's got all these sculptures, it's got a fairy walk. It looks stunning. I'm putting it in my must-go places. And also to end is Leap Castle. Uh, and it's Ireland's most haunted. Do you want to say something? It's Lap. <laughs> It's lap. Oh, you were Jesus so Christ. you were so close. close. Like how are you meant to know? That looks like leap. No, uh, lap. Whoever made up the enunciation of that is in bits. Uh, it's featured on TV shows including Scariest Places on Earth, Most Haunted, 
ghost hunters and ghost adventures and it actually sounds absolutely violent the amount of murders that happened there um all these power players one uh murder was a brother killed his his brother uh, who was a priest because he wanted power and now you can see light shining out of the windows of the oratory where he was murdered it sounds like it's absolutely rotten the amount of murders that happened there so maybe don't go there but watch it on tv um and they are my couch facts Loved those. Loved, loved, loved. And now uh, it's our county rep, awfully man, comedian and all around buzzer, Edwin Salmon. Hello, Edwin Salmon here. I am an awfully man. That's right. Born and raised in Offaly. Now, when it comes to Offaly, I feel that we are kind of a forgotten county. We're sort of the middle child of counties in so far as people tend to focus more on, you know, Kerry and its beautiful scenery or Dublin and its fantastic history with the Vikings and all that. But Offaly is quite interesting. In fact, my hometown of Burr uh, in Irish means uh, Springtown, Bura, town of the spring. And Springtown was the name of a track on singer-songwriter Mundy's first album, Jelly Legs. That's right. Singer-songwriter Mundy is from Burr, County Offaly. Also from Burr, Aidan Quinn, the actor. He grew up in Burr, went to primary school until he was about 10 years old, and then the family moved to Chicago. And then he became a famous actor. And that wouldn't have happened if he had grown up somewhere else besides Offaly. Now, when I tell people... I'm from Offaly. Over the years, people have used the acronym BIFO to describe me, which I take offence to because BIFO stands for Big Ignorant Fucker from Offaly. And now I'm not as big as I used to be. I'm certainly not as ignorant as I used to be. Uh, and I'm probably not a fucker from Offaly. At least I like to think so. Now, we do have in Burr, again, there's so many things in Burr itself. We have a massive telescope that was built in 1845 uh, in Burr Castle, which is a beautiful castle and has wonderful grounds and a lake and a lake house and is a gorgeous place. It's got a hidden waterfall that's uh, pretty easy to find, so it's not that well hidden. And this telescope was built in 1845 and was the largest telescope in the world for 75 years until someone came along and built a bigger telescope. Also in Burr, uh, right outside the Church of Ireland, there is a plaque commemorating an event that happened, which was the very first automobile fatality. So the very first time someone crashed a car and died happened in Burr. And that's something that some counties would shy away from, would maybe not put a plaque up. But we are a warts and all county. We also have great success with our uh, hurling club, Burr, which has won more hurling championships than any other club. Now, Offaly won quite a few All-Irelands in the 90s. And then we graciously stepped back and let other counties win from the mid-90s onwards. And we've kind of went, ah, we're fine, we're fine for, we've enough uh, medals. Uh, flatness is often applied to Offaly in a sort of a negative term. Now, 
it's true there are a lot of boglands in Offaly, and that's one of its unique selling points. My father worked for Bordnemona for all of his life until he retired, so I have seen a lot of the boglands. And there's nowhere else in the country that you can see giant pieces of sculpture in the middle of a bog, which is what the boglands have been repurposed for, because a lot of them are sort of used up. Now, that's not to say that there aren't uh, beautiful mountain ranges like the Sleeve Blue Mountains, because there are, but a lot of it is quite flat. And I think that's a good thing, because, you know, uh, no one can sneak up on you. You can see someone coming with ill intent from quite a distance away, and you can prepare yourself to defend yourself against that. Also, the fact that people from Offaly have a relatively sort of flat accent that doesn't have the sort of uh, lyricism and extreme nature that you would find in places like Kerry or Donegal. Uh, and that's a good thing as well, because it's much easier to be understood when you come from Offaly, as opposed to other counties. In a recent uh, livability index that was carried out online by two scientists, the father and son team, who rated counties based on amenities, closeness to cities, house prices. Offaly fared reasonably well on house prices. It's the 10th cheapest place to live if you want to buy a gaff. And that's, you know, mainly because people want to live in big cities and whatnot. So it has that kind of uh, low income, low pressure feeling to it, which you just don't get in any other county. Uh, it's a wonderful place for me to go back and visit. As I said, I don't live there anymore, but I'm proud to be from Offaly. And I won't have anyone say a bad word about it. Now, we, we've mentioned, obviously, that this is about briquettes. It's about more than briquettes. Pippa Hackett is Minister of State for Land Use Biodiversity. She's a Green Party senator and an awfully farmer. Um, Bogland is a constituency issue for her, as well as climate and biodiversity issues and so on. The whole Green Party vibe. Um, so I'm going to talk to her now a little bit about this phasing out, the, the employment impact, the impact on biodiversity. How long will it take to turn those bogs around. Um, yeah, so let's talk bogs with Pippa Hackett. So first of all, when did you move to Offaly? How did you find yourself there? Because you're from Mayo, is that correct? I'm from Mayo originally, yes. And I met my, my husband-to-be at uh, college in Wales back 20-odd oh, years ago. We're married 20 years next year, so I'm in Offaly at least 20 years, if not more, yeah. <laughs> um, and what has it been like, kind of, I suppose, making your home there and making uh, a living off the land, I suppose, or orientating your life around that? Um, no, it's been it's been enjoyable. I must say, I I mean, we, my husband was a farmer, is a farmer, and we you know we've been farming here for twenty years plus, and 
um, you know, I, I feel very much in tune with with our land, and uh, and in a way, I very much respect it and think it's very much a privilege to be able to you know have land that you can manage and nurture and look after. Um, and we try to do it in as I suppose a nature friendly way as possible. You know, we're organic and uh, you know let our hedges grow and so forth. So I think you know I very much view it. I mean, it, it, it can be tough. There's no denying that, but um, I still see it as very much a privilege to be able to do it. What kind for for people who don't know anything about about your farming? What kind of stuff do you do? Um, we have we have what we call a suckler um, farm, which is um, we have cattle um, that have babies. They're for beef production, and we have sheep. Um, again, we, we produce lamb from the sheep. So um, I suppose it's uh, beef and sheep farm. Usually, we would refer to ourselves as. Mm. And we have a few hens and a couple of horses, just for a bit of a, a mix. So when people hear about. Um, you know, when we talk about kind of bog land and the bogs at the moment in Ireland, if you're kind of absentmindedly listening to the radio or whatever, you might just hear these things about briquettes are being phased out. And that's kind of what people know from maybe the consumer end of things. But what is actually happening out with the phasing out of peace? I suppose there's sort of two aspects to that. This um, there is um, there is a commitment to, to phase out the commercial, um, you know, extraction of peat. So that's that's where your briquettes really come from. Um, it would be largely a commercial entity uh, from board Namona. I mean, people will know that we have generated electricity from burning peat um, over the decades. Um, a small amount, to be honest, of, of all our gen- energy that's generated, but a certain proportion, and largely from um, Midlands-based. Um, power stations and peat harvest, peat burning power stations. Um, so, I mean, we've known for decades that we were going to have to end that that particular um, element of it, and um, you know, we we are at that time. So, um, there's look, there's that direct impact on a consumer that you know that we are that the phasing out of something like the peat briquette will, will become more apparent. You know, there's a number of years for that, but there's also the very I suppose the strong symbolism in the the Midlands, and um, that it's you know it's definitely seen as the end of an era. Um, people here have a very strong affinity with not only peat harvesting but working with board pneumonia. Um and you know th- th- there is a sadness with that. Um, but I think we need to start hopefully seeing it as the start of a new era and opening up opportunities for this part of the country. Get into the kind of the employment and, and economic impact of it in a bit, but. What does the end of peat harvesting, for want of a better phrase, mean for Offaly in terms of the environmental impact, in terms of, I suppose, the biodiversity and ecology of the county? Well, I suppose the, the ending of it is, is, is a good thing for the environment. Um, initially, you know, if, if, we, if we stop actually draining bogs, um, um, by draining bogs, you, you emit carbon. By burning peat, you emit more carbon. So um, by stopping both of those, that, that, that helps a great deal. Um, rewetting again, which is in the plan for, for the Midlands, you know, a, a large-scale rewetting and rehabilitation program. So the rewetting, again, stops the carbon losses and rehabilitation increases carbon sequestration so um, and uh, and indeed supports you know habitat creation and biodiversity so from an environmental perspective it's uh, it's a really good thing for the midlands um, but then there's that sort of social aspect of, of job losses um, and economic perspectives that that's the the other side of the coin and that's you know we have to deal with that also what is the timeline or you know, the kind of the cycle of how you get what is essentially 
almost like a mind bog uh, or a bog with like an industrial almost kind of purpose. Um, I remember like the first time I saw um, bogs in the Midlands, although my, my dad is from Cavan, so I would have been familiar with um, the bog up around him. But I remember going to the, the Bog of Allen on a school tour or something and just seeing these kind of va- vast kind of brown um, stripped fields or what looked like fields. But like, what is the timeline of, of that uh, vista to then what we kind of have this, I suppose, ideal uh, version of a bog mm-hmm. with all of the, you know, the flora and all of that kind of stuff. Like how yeah. quickly can that happen? Um, it really depends on the, the nature of the depletion of the bog and those big, as you say, those huge areas of, I mean, it is really mining. I mean, we use the term harvesting, which has a sort of a more seasonal feel to it, but harvesting implies it's sort of a crop that comes back year on year and we harvest it. But this was essentially mining. It's extraction because this bog does not regenerate any time quick, you know, in any speed at all. And, and many of the bogs are, you know, upwards of maybe 10,000 years old. So that's how old some of these bogs are. Um, but the actual regeneration of them and the rehabilitation of them depends very much so on the on the level of, of deg- uh, on the level of degradation of the of the um, bog. So some of them, if they're you know potentially just drained and still have some surface on them they're closer to being restored to uh, what they their former glory those other ones that, that those big expanses of of um of just you know hectares and hectares of, of brown uh peat that that requires a different approach that will require um, re-wetting um and other all sorts of alternative approaches as to how we really get some life back into those bogs because they're really devoid of any uh living aspect to them at this stage so it you know it's it's not, it's not just a simple matter of you know there has been commentary oh we just blocked all the drains and move away it's it's much more complex than that and really there's no definitive 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 answer in terms of how long this will take because it just really depends on the type of bog but you know it is starting now and that's the good thing you know so that's that's the that's the positive here we are we are starting this mm. Obviously, um, as you're saying, kind of uh, at the outset, Bordeman is a massive employer, there's huge um, cultural importance in the area, there's massive links going back um, generations in some in some cases, I guess, with people working on the bogs and working for Bordeman. And I suppose this balance kind of cuts to the heart of the tension between, um, you know, environmentalism which is a weird uh, term but and and also this kind of just transition thing like the social impact and then the ecological impact what protections and supports and opportunities are being put in place to really soften that short-term hopefully short-term economic impact of of just job loss basically yeah, no, it's it's a it's a huge point, and um, I suppose if you look at the the bogs of the Midlands and and the peat harvesting piece, it's really been a, a provider of a public good to Ireland and to the Midlands. It's employed people, you know, generations of people, as you say, um, and in a way we still must view it as a, as a public good. But it is that clash between that sort of social side and the environmental side, and you know, are they are they pulling at opposite ends, or can we you know mold them into one thing? And I believe we can. I think. 
when you look at um, even you know recent funding from the government from Minister M. Ryan's department is the first real I suppose injection of state supports into this area from a from a climate action and biodiversity perspective um, and you know there has been you know just transition funding has been um, uh, pumped into the area and you know really we're looking at um, I suppose trying to spark innovation not only in, in the people of the area communities and businesses in the area to, to use this funding to develop and grow create more jobs so we have an opportunity in the Midlands to 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 develop out of this because it certainly is um I mean we've been losing jobs of course in this area for for decades really you know I mean the height of board pneumonia and the employment in, in in this sector was into you know tens of thousands of people you know we're down to the last thousand that it's not just how it happened overnight there has been a steady decline of jobs from this area and that's really quite evident in many um, you know towns and villages in around County Offaly you can see the sort of demise from you know a bustling market town that may have been you know decades ago they're not like that anymore so it's um, it's not a, it's not it's not completely a cliff edge situation it is for the for the last jobs in one sense but this has this has been um, the situation in the Midlands for years and this as I said is the first time we've really looked at it properly I feel um, and um, that, that, that there are supports there now I mean we are also trying to you know help in the retraining of, of workers um, in board pneumonia um, in those jobs that perhaps keep them on the bogs that sustain them for generations um, in jobs, keep them on the bogs. These people know these bogs the best, will know where is best to drain, or sorry, where is best to not drain anymore, where is best to, you know, block drains and to what's the best way to, to, to preserve these bogs. So we need that expertise and that knowledge. And of course, then there are further, you know, opportunities for other jobs. I actually noticed this week an ad in my local, um, one of my local Offaly papers um, for board pneumonia, looking for engineers, looking for ecologists and hydrologists and planners. So it's, you know, it's at both ends, um, you know, we, we, we need the practical work and we need the, the, um, the sort of, I uh, suppose, the very sort of technical work as well to, mm. to regenerate. Yeah. So I think it's a, it's a blend of the two, but I think we're, we're at a stage now where we are supporting that that transition if you like yeah do you think like that people most people who let's say you're talking about the the last thousand jobs or whatever do you think that most people who had those jobs will be able to move into a different kind of role in the same area you know sometimes when I think about like retraining and stuff like that like it reminds me of um the stuff down in Dell where you know, civil servants or whoever, or the, or the IDA went down and say, oh, well, you know, you can, like people can retrain and you can be an entrepreneur and all this kind of stuff. But ultimately people just want, tend to want their old job back. You know, people, people just want, want their, want their job and they don't necessarily want to, you know, if you're like in your sixties or something, go back to college and do like a creative entrepreneur course or something like that. No, absolutely. And I think there has to be a certain realism as to what, what retraining and upskilling can be done. And I think, you know, we have to match that. And I suppose that's why we, you know, if if, if people have been in, in jobs that have been, you know, essentially outdoors, out on the bogs daily, we must try and... Um, get a similar type of role for them but instead of instead of you know draining and harvesting they're 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 blocking and they're they're regenerating so um and and, and maybe for for perhaps as you say for maybe younger workers in in in, in those 
in this sector, you know, maybe they, they have more scope to upskill in a different way. I mean, we are, there, there are supports now for upskilling of, uh, of, of indeed of anyone or indeed border owner workers or ESB workers into, um, you know, the whole retrofitting piece. Um, and again, this is, it's a climate action piece, but it's also a, a people will have warmer homes, they will have lower fuel bills. Um, and, you know, there's opportunities there as well. I know there, I w- you know, there is a frustration here because, I mean, to be honest, in the Midlands, they've been hearing about a just transition for, for years now and people are still saying, well, what does this mean and what is it and what is the evidence? And I think really we're at the point now where we're hopefully going to start to see some of that in action and what it means because, mm. you know, really people here need to, need to see it to believe it and I don't blame them. Um, on that, like when you're talking about former bustling market towns that maybe aren't so bustling and so on, like Offaly came last on an Irish livability index this week, whatever those are worth, you know, they're kind of be arbitrary scores and, and not necessarily a nuanced uh, full picture at a particular place. But like in your opinion, what are the main issues in the county in terms of livability and what and what is like what? What kind of action is being taken to address quality of life if that's coming down on some random indexes scorecard that this is essentially a county at the bottom of the table in Ireland in terms of quality of life? Yeah, um, yeah, it's, it's, it, it was an interesting um, index. All right, actually, my colleague Tefsi um, Mark Rokasik from Waterford. I think Waterford were at the top of it. <laughs> they got the best uh, livability index, and he was gloating that Offaly were at the bottom. But um, look, I, again, look, it was relatively arbitrary in terms of what they measured. And we can't do much about sunshine as one of them or proximity to a city. But certainly, the the natural amenity value and, um, as you say, I suppose the general desire for people to live here, it's certainly connected with um, uh, certainly jobs in the area because there's a you know there's a huge um, movement of people from the midlands to to Dublin every day to maybe Athlone to other cities um, even to you know Limerick I used to drive to Limerick every day myself from from Offaly, you know, that was where my job was. So, you know, it's about getting people back, living closer to where, where, where they work. And in order to do that, you have to bring the work to where they live. So I think that's that's this, that's one stage. Hopefully some of this funding that, that's been injected into the area will help with that and generate new jobs as well as retain um, retain jobs in the area. Um, I also, I mean, as I said earlier, to, you know, if you drive through some towns and villages, there, you know, there's so many empty buildings and empty structures and not even as far as derelict but certainly vacant that there's such scope there to and space that, that could be regenerated and certainly some sort of town centre first approach needs to be taken I think and it would be great to see some you know Midlands towns sort of piloted in that regard to see what exactly we could how we regenerate them how we get people back living in towns you know we, I mean, we've got a high population in Ireland of rural dwellers um, but not in the rural towns and villages and that's really where we need to centre them around so you know it's a, it's a I suppose it's a it's a very big approach that needs to be taken but I think um, I think we can do it if we if we you know, put the money in the right place and encourage that innovation. Mm. Really, we want that indigenous um, innovation. It's all very well saying, let's get the IDA down and we'll plonk a factory outside Eden Dairy. 
if people aren't there to work in the factory, you've got an empty shell. We need to really get that indigenous desire for people to want to work and live in this area. And I think I think it will come. I think, you know, if the livability index people come back in a couple of years' time, hopefully we will have, you know, substantially increased, say, our bog, re- bog rehabilitation and have a greenway network and lots of things that people will want to live close by to. Mm. What do you think about the conversations around that at the moment about like it, um, villages and kind of independent towns and big towns around the remote working stuff? There's been, and especially last summer, you know, there was an awful lot of local or uh, regional estate agents, auctioneers talking about, you know, dubs buying up cottages in the back arse of, you know, wherever, um, yeah, because they're essentially priced out of the capital or maybe they have extra cash to, to decide that they want to move outside of, of, of Dublin or Cork or Galway or Limerick or wherever. But there's also seems to be a ver- like a kind of an urban saviour narrative around that, that like, oh, all these remote workers are going to come down from the cities and they'll inject life into, into towns and villages. Like, it's not really realistic, is it? Um, it probably isn't realistic if you know if your actual job is based still in Dublin. I mean, a certain amount of remote working will work, and I know it has suited people who do live in rural Ireland in in towns like Eaton Derry and Port Arlington and so forth that they have been able to work more from home than make that commute. But again, if you're even further outside of town and your connectivity isn't great in terms of rural broadband, and that's a huge issue. I mean, that's a huge issue even for you know for for even now at the moment. I'm you know my kids are at home being homeschooled and they're they're online and it's you know it's difficult because people are screaming at each other who's on the internet I've got a meeting now and it's very difficult you know so I think that whole the broadband is a huge issue because that's what connects people to their jobs in in, in another place in, in, in Dublin or wherever and um, are people actually moving you know moving their lives down to the Midlands from their jobs in Dublin. I don't know. I, I, I have no direct evidence of that. I mean, I think it, I'm sure there'll be a little bit of it. I think what what would be almost better is if the people who already live here, who make that commute to Dublin, could do more remote working and, and stay stay in their towns and spend mm. their lunch break in the towns. That might be more realistic. And, you know, that's something to, to certainly aspire to, I think. Yeah. Before you go, I just want to ask you a question about um, the morale or general vibe in the Green Party at the moment. I was reading there was two other um, councillors, I think, that left the party again, this tension around, you know, perceived invisibility in government, whether that's fair or not. And also, um, you know, the kind of the, the social justice aspect of it or the, or the you know, the we talked about just transition, et cetera, et cetera, like um, the people aspect uh, to, to, I mean, I suppose, the so, yeah, the social aspect, I suppose, um, oh, not that they need to be in competition with an environmental or climate um, aspect. How, how is it at the moment? Um, is, is it tough going to be um, at the, at the you, know, you know, at the other end of people's ire and things like that? Um, I suppose it is tough. I mean, nobody wants to see their their party, um, you know, losing members, especially, you know, elected reps. Um, and, you know, it, that is tough. And it is, it's, 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 you know, it's really, really, it's really unfortunate. And it saddens me and it saddens many of my party colleagues. Um, I mean, I think when we went into government, there was a, you know, a proportion of the party that were dissatisfied with that. And, um, and I, I suppose I feel that, 
they haven't been able to reconcile that and that's fine you know I, 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 I if I were one of them I, I would feel the same you know so I think it's I, I just think it's in one sense it's part it's part of a bigger party I suppose perspective I mean when we went into government the last time um, 10 years ago we lost members you know very dissatisfied people with us going into government and, and, and I think we're, we're going to do that again this time saying that our, our membership numbers in terms of people who are members of the party have gone up since the, the general election um, you know so we have more members um, our membership in my own constituency of Leash Offaly has, has gone up and we did a really engaging meeting last night lots of different views you know and, and from different angles and I think that's fine as long as everything is kept you know respectful and understanding and you know everyone listens to everyone and I think that's the most important thing in a way is to, to listen but um, you know we are in business I, I, I'm unapologetic about being in government um, we, we are here to, to do what we can and in my view, any government with the Greens in it is a better government than without. And I'll certainly work my hardest to, to deliver what I can in my role. And I know my I know my government colleagues and my uh, party colleagues will, will also will also do that. So that's what keeps me going. Um, and you know, I just hope we can you know bring as many members of our party with us as we can as we do this as we go through this. Um, so you know, that's 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 my view on it, really. Yeah. Minister State, uh, Pip, Pippa Hackett, thank you so much for, for joining us. Really appreciate it. Not at all. Take care. Thanks, Luna. Now, I alluded to earlier, Andrea, that we have um, Ireland's number one, well, number one and most well-known fan of uh, Pete cats. Would you like to elaborate? James has a fire in his house that he likes lighting peeper cats. That's in itself well and good. But he's managed to, as James has this tendency to be able to make the most mundane become the most interesting thing where he ha- puts the briquettes on his coal holder and lights the plastic bit. And the challenge is whether they'll all fall into the thing. Doesn't sound very interesting. Thousands of views and loves and likes he gets on that. The most recent one that is my favorite is where he actually uh, did the transition from Chromatic 3, no, well, yeah, Chromatic 3 into 911. And it just at the perfect moment, it broke and the briquettes fell. It was a thing of beauty. But Indeed. he has provided us with uh, his, his love of briquettes now. Yeah, only James Kavanagh uh, could could uh, do exactly as you're describing and make it quality content. I love Borden and Mona Briquettes. I've had a gorgeous relationship with them my whole life. I remember them from my childhood. There was always a, a pile of Borden and Mona Briquettes on the go. I remember the smell of them. Smelling them now reminds me of my childhood. We always had a real fire in the house. I have a real fire now. I'll, I'm a real fire bitch until death. I love a roaring real fire or a wood burner, a stove. Um, I just think it's so cosy, so gorgeous, so evocative of like gorgeous, cosy old man pubs. Um, so it's sad to see them go, but look, it's for the greater good. Um, they're going to, Borden and Mona are apparently going to re-wet the bogs. So we'll have wet ass bogs again which is fab um, they are, they produce a lot of carbon as well apparently so you know they're not great for the world um, I'm actually using EcoFuel now, little plug, they're fab they're made of um, recycled um, sawdust, they burn 
a little bit longer as well than the than the traditional briquettes. Um, but I will miss, I used to put a bale of briquettes over my fire bucket where I keep like fire lighters and wood and briquettes. I'd put it on top of it and I'd light the plastic thing that's around the briquettes and watch it collapse into the bucket. It's very satisfactory. Um, so yeah, slon, slon briquettes. But um, as I said, it's for the greater good. You'll be missed. Now, Andrea, from the boglands to the ocean, what is getting in the sea? I have two getting in the sea moments this week. The first is a general one. And it just struck me during the week again. I fucking hate it. The rise of automation. How difficult it is to get any sort of human contact when you're trying to sort any sort of service. It's like, please bless three, please bless four. Um, it just really decimates my soul, the rise of automation. And that's, that's kind of it on that one. Uh, the second one is a bit more serious. There was a report in the Sunday Business Post um, at the weekend about hundreds of Lux apartments controlled by US funds lie vacant um, and uh, that they're more than likely being used as wealth stores rather than homes. And as we're faced, as we seem to be continuously with like homeless problems and how we have to build, when we have so many uh, places that are empty, it's just so enraging. Um, now, in Barcelona, there's been compulsory orders required for apartments that are vacant for two or more years. And on the back of that report, well, I think it was coming for a while, Rebecca Moynihan um, has called for an introduction of a vacant housing levy, which like just makes so much sense. If we're sweating for new homes and things we built when we have this capacity lying around why we don't have something to nudge uh, people to um to let them out sell them whatever and as we say as we said before uh, dereliction is often not the not um an indicator of uh poorness it's usually of wealth because people just don't need to sell these things because they're rich enough to just leave them idly by so it's time to give them a kick up the hole so we are glad about that also i just had this in as a little moment of another thing that can get in the sea but conor mcgregor's absolutely disgustingly vile watch the one with That's the sex scene in it you know got two we got two watches you got a jacob and co watch that's like a million quid quid or something it's the one with the oh, glass yeah. and the then bowl. he got bowl. another one that like has swans on it or something but then when you click a button on the side a secret window opens and it's depicts a guy or like two people man and woman having sex in time with the second hand Okay, I'm kind of into that one. <laughs> um, on automation, can um, obviously very wide ranging topic, but how do you feel about drone deliveries? You know, they've uh, started um, a drone delivery service Tesco have in Oran Moore in Galway. How do you feel about that? How do I feel about that? Mana is the name I, of the company. I think it's, what do I think? <sighs> I feel like when 
tech companies are replacing people's opportunity to make money to live with uh, with these advances that I often get a worry is the first thing. And then the second thing is, um, yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have to think about that. What do you think? I, I don't know. Maybe we should get the mana people on to talk about their drone deliveries. I mean, I too, obviously, ultimately fear uh, human obsolescence due to machines. Um, well, I wouldn't if we had a, a, a basic payment that we all had enough money and we didn't have to work. That would be the dream. And then automate the shit out of everything. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, maybe, maybe we'll talk to these people, Mana, who are who are doing the drones. Um, but for now, I believe it's time for it's bananas. It's bananas is no longer the name of the feature. It. The new name is It's Bananas for Co-Living. <laughs> How can this be happening? Like I kind of said it as a joke last week. Another week and we've another fucking co-living development given the go-ahead post-ban. Um, Kylie's and Donnybrook is going to become a six-story block. It was meant to be seven, but there was pushback. And it's going to have 91 shared living units. Um, and... That might go down because the council have said that they have to be at least three meters wide because they the developer had them even smaller than that. Jesus. Um, and so they are saying now that they're going to be three meters wide, that that's going to bring the number of living units down. Depressa Martini. Um, and this is bizarre because despite around 115 objections being lodged against the proposal, including Ivana Bacic, uh, Lord Mayor Hazel Chu, Sinn Féin's Chris Andrews and Labour's Dermot Lacey amongst those who objected. But uh, there's two things that I uh, wanted to highlight. One is that this is a feature that occupiers of the development are going to be invited to avail of a member-facing platform. Hey, that's oh, what does it mean? Um, so that... Through their desktop and mobile phones, they'll be allowed to able to do everything from making rent payments to making service requests, grant, as well as accessing concierge services. But this is the worst bit. The platforms will also be used to promote what the developer describes as community engagement. Puke. Oh. You're, you're basically uh, living in an app. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but uh, then uh, the developer said that it's seeking to uh, offer the accommodation to uh, medical staff and other essential workers uh, in Vincent and the Royal Hospital in Donnybrook. Um, and because they don't have families or friends they might want to have over or dinner parties or whatever. Um, and it's also likely to attract workers with nearby employers such as Google, LinkedIn, Amazon, Facebook and Avalon. We're building houses for companies we're not building homes or communities let's like that just whatever um and a point that orla hegarty made is and ivana bachik also uh, repeated was that between the developments that have already been approved and those seeking permission there may be three thousand co-living units in dublin city by the time the ban is actually implemented that is in i this. just it's just do you know what it is in it it's absolutely bananas. It is bananas. Do you know what as well? I was saying this to you over um, Signal the other day. 
I, lo- I do love how Signal is like the best encrypted app, yet it just tells you every time somebody in your contacts joins. Have you? Do you get that oh, alert? No. no okay. one, everyone who, who joined with me is then like, now nah, this shit, I'm leaving. Like, <laughs> um, what, like, why do politicians and planners and whoever else buy this line from developers that if you work in a particular company, you are somehow predisposed to co-living. Like, what is it about somebody who works in Google that means they like hate apartments or how, like, it's just a total fucking fiction. It is just completely made up. And also it's like, this isn't the industrial revolution where you like go into the loom at 12 years old and stay there until like your arms get chopped off or in some kind of terrible accident or, you know, you retire or, you know, I don't know, whatever. It's like this, like people don't stay in jobs forever. And like, I just don't, this, this kind of fake like tech even evangelism that is linking people to particular lifestyles that they're somehow internalizing the fucking ethics and entire aesthetic of the company that therefore means like I am a tech worker I just need to live in a box like that's just not fucking real it's not real it's a load of bullshit the end it's bananas it's bananas yeah onto something more more nice <laughs> um, and calm Inna, what are your fave bits this week? My fave bits, um, running a bit thin. I did buy uh, this uh, really nice, um, beautiful zine um, called Stories of the Songs. Uh, it's in my hand right now. That's me flicking through the zine. Uh, it's it's a it's a by Lancome, and and it's about some of their songs and and. Uh, what is behind the motivation for for singing them and 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 the history of the songs? Um, so I'd really recommend that you can get that in their merch shop online. I think it's like nine euros or something. Uh, okay, this is another one, but I'm I. It's very like all these highs and lows. Um, uh, board vulture vibes, but running in the rain. Running in the rain. This is how thin on the fucking ground my five bits are. But I went for a run today. I feel I, like. It's time for them to know all the stuff that everyone was doing to be creative in all the other lockdowns that hasn't kicked in yet for this one. Mm, yeah. Like oh, theater and drag and like, there's just not, well, Davina and Victoria had their show last week, but there's just nothing happening. Like the, it's very hard to find something. It's a bit of a crack Before. game. It's a bit of a crack game. All right. Um, yeah. And I think as well, because people feel like they've built capacity. Yeah, so they've kind of normalized them. It's like, oh, I guess I can do more work now. So now it's just like, we're still in lockdown, but people are kind of busy, which are two terrible things. Um, But I did go for a run in the rain and there's very little stuff you can do outdoors in the rain in especially January rain, but you can run in it. And it was highly enjoyable. I have to say, I, you kind of feel like you're extra rocky vibes. Um, So I was absolutely lashing. Ew. Uh, yeah, that's a fave bit. Um, and then my Anything other else? My, on, there must be something else in there. <laughs> my other fave bit. I think I've mentioned this before, but it's the Intune CBD sparkling drink. Um, 
you can get it from Wine Lab. You can get it from. There's a real connection between all these things. Uh, you can get it. Uh, where did I buy it? Fallen and Burn. Now it's kind of expensive. I think it's like two something a can or three euros or something like that. But the flavors are delicious. Um, it's one of those things that. Um, Does it have a calming effect? I think so. It's it's yeah, it does. It does. Now it could be placebo vibes, but it's one of those things that were I an influencer, um, I would ask them to send me cases and cases of this stuff. But considering I'm not and I don't put any free stuff on my social media, um, PR companies don't do that. Although I did get an offer of some free chocolate there recently. Oh, which Tony's I accept. Yeah, Tony's chocolate, exactly. <laughs> which, which now they have free public. I, I mean, I did say um, to the very kind person who offered it to me. Uh, yes, you can send it to me, but just be aware that I don't put gifts on my social media. And well, uh, like ultimately, yeah, probably like put the person really. in an awkward position because then they have to go. Well, that's the entire fucking point of sending people free stuff. But now, no, obviously, they have to like send it anyway. Everyone asks, you know, these days if you want something sent to you so you can say no thanks if you don't want to post about it. And also... But I, wa- but I, I wanted like- the free chocolate, but I just didn't want to do anything. <laughs> well, it. you've done it now because you're talking about it. But <laughs> the whole reason they're sending it, you're an influencer, ha! Ah! Uh, the reason they're sending it is to uh, eradicate child labour in cocoa production. So it's kind of... A good truth yeah. be told it is one of my favorite chocolate brands if it was a manky thing i'd be like no i don't want that don't sell it to me well and there you go the job is done <laughs> they've literally done their job oh, that's so insidious <laughs> okay yeah. this podcast my favorite. go oh shit your favorite oh my god yeah, thanks. <laughs> thanks uh i am so late to the party but i am glad i've arrived shit's creek Oh my God, it's so good. I just can't get enough of it. I'm so happy that I'm in a lockdown with so many episodes ahead of me. It's just a really, really great show. And like I've talked about it so much on Twitter with other people. I've talked about it with you on like about it. I've talked to everyone about how great it is. So I don't really want to say much more. It's just, I just really feel, I know it's done really well and won loads of awards and has loads of viewers and all that kind of thing. But I just feel its marketing didn't connect with me and it didn't represent what the show was well. That like I kind of always looked at it and I was like, no, that's not for me. It's just such a great show. I've just, I just, I, I might do an investigation now into their marketing, why it didn't connect. And as a little, I definitely won't do that. I barely do my own things. Uh, my other fave bit is God Knows and the All Stars performing Who's Asking on Tommy Tiernan at the weekend. Uh that was a great moment, but also the thing I loved the most about it was Denise Chalia tweeted um, how uh, God knows was asked to do that, and he brought everyone along for the ride to, for the performance, which I think is super sound, and is it just shows you how you can bring what's one of those inspirational quotes of like when we rise we all rise or something like that uh but i think that's a really nice trait but also uh rebel phoenix was tweeting about how he was djing one night and god knows is there and he's asked him to do the get involved in the remix and that's how it started a year ago and i think again how collaboration and um and projects happen in in clubs in uh venues at gigs and uh, 
that's it's a melting pot for uh, moving forward with creating. So everything in there I loved about it. And my other fave bit is my dogs. They're so bold and annoying. And I'd say my next door neighbor hates them. Um, but I got them back and I just, I just love my dogs. If you can have running in the rain in there, I'm putting in Ruth and Biggie. Fair. Shout out to Ruth and Biggie. They're upstairs listening. Hey. This podcast is produced by Andrew Mang and a Castaway Media. Crystal Clear gave us his chin chicken wrap for a soundtrack. Sarah Fox did all of our design and it's sponsored by, <laughs> no, <laughs> an unnamed chocolate brand and an unnamed CBD drink brand. No. Uh, what is a tuna chicken roll? I'm excited. This week's tuna chicken roll. I was thinking if I, ha- if I, I kind of wish I could make music so that I could make a song and then Soul Wax would remix it because I love them. And they have done just that with Fontaine's DC, A Hero's Death, which is an absolute tuna and it's out now. I've been Una Malali. I've been Andrea Horan. This has been United Ireland. And that was... Awfully...
don't give up too quick You only get one line, you better make it stick If we give ourselves to every breath Then we're all in the runner for a hero's death Life ain't always empty 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 Life ain't always empty, Life ain't always empty. 